Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Andy, and thanks for tuning in. Today I'm joined with Jira. Hello. And Grace. Hey. And our special guest, Kennedy. Hi! <laughs> Hi. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Kennedy Allen, also known as Storm Tribble. I'm one of the producers of the Philly Geek Talk radio show, Black Tribbles. We've been on the air since 2011, uh, bringing you the best in geekery all through the lens of the Black perspective. Um, and I'm incredibly thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. We're very excited. Yes. <laughs> it is a good day to record. Yes! <laughs> oh, gosh, please. More Klingon references. I can... Oh, this is... I'm already... I'm sitting on my She's hands. Jazz. She's I'm sitting up. on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> How about we finish out the episode with a Klingon death cry for the episode? <laughs> I'm with it. My neighbors might not like it, but I'm down. Screw those guys. Yeah. <laughs> that way you know we've got a really big one coming the whole time. <laughs> That sounds so dirty. (laughs) (laughs) So as you may have guessed, we are going to be talking about Klingon women today, and we're very excited. But before we get to that, just a little bit of housekeeping. So if you'd like to support Women at Warp and all that we do, we do have a Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash women at warp. And it helps us, you know, fix equipment, go to cons, do all sorts of good stuff. So if you are interested in supporting us, we would love that. So... Now that that's out of the way, let's talk about Klingon women. Yay! Time to cling it on. Oh, nice one. (laughs) Take notes. I have a feeling that this is going to be Kennedy and Grace trying to (laughs) top each other on Klingon references, and I am so here for it. (laughs) See, I just, I'm struggling to stay speaking English and not to slip into Klingon, so... I'm pretty sure plenty of our our listeners would actually understand you. So, I mean, if you were going to do it, this would be the audience. It's true. (laughs) So the first Klingon woman that we see is in the original series, and her name is Mara? Mara. Mara. I'm pretty sure it's Mara, but I don't really remember her name being said like a ton, maybe just once, but um, she's pretty, well, interesting. I love her outfit, for sure. She's got, like, this cool, like, silver sort of one-piece jumpsuit with this... Like you do, TOS style. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. awesome makeup. Yeah. There's some beehiveage going on there, too, isn't there? Yeah, it's very 60s. Yeah. Very 60s. Could have done without the brown face. Yeah. Could have done without mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I-, I will give her props for her extremely hardcore eye makeup, but... um. Yeah, the rest is uncomfortable. Although, really, the Klingons in general for TOS with the brown face is uncomfortable. So, I mean, she fits with the rest of them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I I, I gotta admit, I know TOS because I was raised on it. And my mom's a big fan, so it was always on in the house. But it wasn't the show that I paid the most attention to. It was like the encyclopedia and I was more mm-hmm. interested in the spin-off matter through other series. Um yeah. I don't remember Mara. I'm gonna think I'm gonna assume that her, her name is pronounced Mara only because of how Klingon is as a language. But I you know, outside of that, like they they looked funny, but at least they looked more human back then because of the the, the that that virus that we found out later on in Enterprise, right? Like something they were trying mm-hmm. to be 
more human than human and then realize, screw you guys, I like my ridges. What's up with that? Yeah, so in the making of Star Trek by Stephen E. Whitfield and Gene Roddenberry, uh, it describes the Klingons physically saying they are, quote, slightly oriental looking, dark complexioned with bushy eyebrows that arch up at both ends. The men without exception are bearded. They have no patience with women, even their own, and treat them as sometimes useful animals. Really glad they changed that around. Yeah, I mean, there's some stuff to unpack in there for sure. I'll just say that I think that Mara is a bit of an exception. So she's the wife of Kang in, um, what's the Day episode? of the Dove. Yes, the Day of the Dove. And even though she is, uh, at least one point, like, put in a kind of damsel in distress position, she's the one who, she not only seems like she's being treated by the Klingons and by Kang as relatively unequal to him, but she's also the one who kind of talks sense into Kirk in the episode as well. So I thought that she, and she's, uh, I think, supposed to be a scientist. Yeah, she's the science officer on the ship. Yeah, so she actually, in like, for TOS, broke a lot of the barriers for roles for women. Yeah, absolutely. Overall, I like this episode, and overall, I like her. Um, I will forever love this episode for one of my favorite climaxes ever, in which they all just laugh hysterically <laughs> at the... Uh, the fear monster or violence monster. I don't even know what it is, but that, that scene where they all go <laughs> is one of the best things ever. And I love it. The one thing that struck me when I was rewatching it though, is that her, one of her biggest moments in the episode is getting like sexually assaulted by Chekhov. Yeah. Which is mad, creepy and uncomfortable. And also Chekhov really, can you imagine Chekhov trying to, like, hit on the Dura sisters? Like, this would not happen. Oh, my God. We would be left with a Chekhov pancake afterward. I know, right? Like, they, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing him trying to do the same moves that he did on her to, like, Lursa and, like, just getting his balls back on a plate, you know? <laughs> it just doesn't work. No, they would be sent mail order to his mother. I'm about to say, that's cute that you think they would give them back at all. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they would try to sit on that. Like, look what I have, puny human nuts. <laughs> That's true. My testicles were made in Soviet Russia. <laughs> <laughs> but it does make this version of the Klingon women uh, interesting. They definitely went in a different direction in TNG because she's very passive in that scene. She's very wide-eyed and frightened. That's not how we like our Klingon women. No. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, that's true. I the the thing that I think is interesting is so the reason Chekhov does it is partly because the fear monster is making both sides more xenophobic than usual. And they even start like being there's some xenophobia amongst the Enterprise crew, like against Spock and stuff. And basically Chekhov attacks her and he has this this like it's it's super disturbing, but he has this, you know, comment where he's like, You don't die yet, you're not human, but you're very beautiful. I guess very beautiful. Very yeah. beautiful. Ugh. Hearing it in a cartoonish accent just makes it even creepier. And it is super creepy. But I mean it does kind of show how in the real world there is that kind of idea of like the intersection of race and gender in war and like using yeah. rape as a weapon of war to attack the men on the other side's masculine authority. Ooh, so yeah. even though I don't, I think it was like super uncomfortable to watch. I think that it, it had some grounding in like how things actually work. Yeah. Also the like fetish, 
fetishization. Yes. Oh my gosh, that word is hard to say. It is. Of of women of color. I mean, Klingon Klingon women I feel like are super coded as as at the very least people of color. Yeah. And so there's there's some extra racial tensions there even though she's a white woman in brown face. So I, I, I hear you, Jara. I think it, it that's why I, I think she's super interesting. And also in the end, like she really is the one that is the only one that can get, you know, it together enough to make peace between them before they all get murdered by giant swords. I really love this episode in a lot of ways. I'm not going to lie. All of the scenes where the chess games turn into swords is like super funny. And they're clearly form foam swords and they have this like <laughs> boing sound effect when they appear. <laughs> it's great. Also, I see, I love that when Scotty is all wide-eyed and super racist towards Spock and Spock's just like, can I say that I don't always enjoy serving with humans. I just love that. So funny. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, why? So an interesting first Klingon woman appearance, I would say. And positives and a, a couple of things that I side-eye a little bit, but overall I think a positive interpretation. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it's important to note when we're talking about this period of time about the whole – So. Yeah, you're absolutely right that they're they're coded as like racially other in the book Star Trek in History, Race Ing Toward a White Future by Daniel Leonard Bernardi. He talks about how like Klingons were designed to signify Soviets, and you can see that in the plot lines. You can also see that in their in their uh design a little bit, can't you? At least costume wise. I always thought that while from a socio political standpoint, they, they did have, you know, communist undertones, especially Soviet relations. But if anything, I felt like culturally they more were akin to, you know, that shogun period of Japan, that that very feudal house-based honor code Bushido system. Oh, definitely. That is even, you know, reflected in a lot of their armor, especially if they were on the council, things got really extra fancy. And uh, especially with those early on Klingons with their pointy eyebrows. That's kind of straight out of the yellow face makeup handbook. Right. Yeah, I... I think by the time that they got to TNG, there is some discussion because by that point they were actually building more of a Klingon universe, the Klingon language, the Klingon armor, the forehead ridges. And they for sure did draw on like Japanese, what their idea of Japanese samurai culture was. But in the original series, the like Daniel Leonard Bernardi says it, it looks more like the Fu Manchu character. That's like this evil East Asian. uh, He says the Klingons um, made them, more striking or more readily identifiable and acceptable as a vile enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they actually looked like Russians, then like they'd look the same as Chekhov. And how could you tell they were evil? Like right. it's <laughs> they're, they're little Beatles haircuts, clearly. Right. Yeah. Right. If they look like Chekhov. And then we get to Star Trek five and Vixis, who is. Oh, right. Mwah. <laughs> Much more along the lines of what I think of when I think of Klingon women. Yeah, for sure. She's like the navigator or the security chief or something. It's not like, I think she's the security chief, but she's, uh, uh, she was played by this bodybuilder, Spice Williams, who went on this sort of extreme regimen to like, just basically train her arms and diet until she had a 21 inch waist and then, uh, trained her upper chest and basically said that she wanted Vixis to look like super otherworldly and badass. Well, so. she succeeded. Winning. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
But also, like, it's actually kind of slightly ironic because she gets to, she's, uh, like, there's the part where she kind of tricks, I think, uh, Starfleet, is it, by, like, talking to them on the comm channel in without, like, the Klingon accent. And it's like, wow, she does better communications than Uhura in Star Trek VI. But um, anyway, that's not a knock against Vixis. She just gets to do, like, she has a couple badass moments for a movie that's otherwise pretty... Yeah. Unremarkable for women. Oh, what, what, what? Nobody liked the fan dance! <laughs> <laughs> I have such mixed feelings about the fan dance, but in the end, uh, Nichelle Nichols liked doing it, and I liked watching her, so yeah. I'll just leave it there. That's that's <laughs> at the end of the day, you can you can try and get on a, a feminist soapbox, but with when the Queen Mother says she enjoyed herself, then... <laughs> guess you what? let her have her fan dance. Right, right. I mean, she looked great. So when does, like I'm waiting for Nichelle Nichols to not look great. Like, do you crack uh, ever? That will never happen. Like, what that is, will never happen. What, what do you like? I feel like she needs to be like she needs to be submitting samples of her DNA to science so she can <laughs> right. be whatever is in her genetic makeup to preserve her this well. The rest of us can just like bathe in or breathe. <laughs> I don't know, but I digress. We saw her in person ah. at um, oh my god, Las Vegas in Las Vegas, and she is just that gorgeous in person. She's mm-hmm. breathtaking. Oh yeah, God, she's coming to Philly next weekend, and I just want to like bring <laughs> her a fruit basket and flowers, <laughs> and adorn her feet with oils and light incense, and just pay proper tribute, <laughs> and, and hope that her security is like, get this lady out of here. <laughs> at that point, I think she'd just be like, thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Your adoration is appreciated. Oh, <laughs> just bow out gracefully. Don't make eye contact. She's exactly. <laughs> like unto the queen, don't touch her. Right. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I'm still looking at pictures of Spice Williams. Right Me now. too! Oh my oh god. Okay, so the very end of that movie when Chakoff and Sulu are just like, yeah. And they're just like following her. Yeah. It's so funny to me. And she's just like, yes, this is my due. I, There's I'm an adorable photo op of the three of them floating around online of all of them hamming it up together. It is very <laughs> cute. Ah, man. It's good stuff. And then we also get a Zetbur. An undiscovered country, who yes. is definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. Definitely oh my one of my gosh. favorites. She's just so regal. Yeah, I was yes. going to say, she mm-hmm. definitely never dropped her crown, even when her dad died. I know. Mm-hmm. She was like what Queen Elizabeth wished she was doing during the Princess Die thing, but right. just did not. <laughs> Besides, right. she didn't have that awesome sort of chain maily looking dress going on. Mm-hmm. We actually got a lot of comments on on her from Facebook. Um, one of them from Alejandra was, Azette Burr is my favorite. I read the Star Trek VI novel by J.M. Dillard, and there they explored her character more, how because she was, a, she was female in a Klingon society, she wasn't really respected as a diplomat or a Klingon. They also explored her love life and the struggle to choose between duty and love. I just Ooh. think that's lovely. She was she was one of those characters that doesn't actually have a whole lot of screen time if you like lay it out, but makes a huge impact. Yeah, yeah. she definitely ate up all of the scenery, and that's saying something. One, like you said, because she didn't have a lot of lines, but also because she's staring, you know, a, a camera with the cast of TOS and Christopher Plummer and all oh of these, gosh. you know, stellar, incredible actors. And at the same time, while they're talking, I can't stop looking at her. Yeah. Yeah. She's a scene stealer for sure. And one of probably my favorite Klingon outfits that we've seen in all of Star Trek. 
I just got to put that out there. Just the combination of that standard Klingon aesthetic mixed with her sort of regal diplom- diplomatic thing. I just love it. I have a feeling that this this crew, before they stepped onto the Enterprise for this, you know, for this dinner, for this diplomatic summit, if you will, they were like, all right, guys, no effing around. Bring out your good shit, okay? No, 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 no. Put that back. Break out the good leather we bought on Karth a couple years ago. Yeah, that one. Get that one. Shine your shit. Shine, shine your boots, too. Shine your headpiece. Right. We're all going through the matching red leather. We're making this work, okay? Okay. Trust me, they won't know what to do. They'll be they'll be eaten out of our hands. Freak them out with glam. Freak them out with glam. The other thing that I like about her, too, is that she calls out racism. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that about her. She really does. She And she does it both subtle and straightforward. But there, there's a, a couple times where you can really just see her going, really? Yeah, really? the whole, like, you know, you know, listen to yourself talking about human rights. The very concept is racist. Yeah. Yep. It is. And she's completely right. And uh, it's just one of those subtle things in language that a lot of times people don't think about. And there are a lot of, you know... Uh, examples in our real world with the fact that she calls out a microaggression in in this like tiny little things that the humans are not paying any attention to and she's just like no that's not gonna fly with me i dig it so much yeah like even in um in french today the more common term for human rights is like droit de l'homme like men's rights essentially even though that's it's supposed to mean human rights but i mean uh, but a lot of groups and People use like droit de les personnes and apologies for the terrible pronunciation, which is actually like human rights. But there are like there's still modern languages today that have like really gendered language. So it was kind of cool to yeah be able to draw that parallel. I, I just enjoyed that that particular moment um, where she checks them on you know the microaggression because coming from a Klingon, you know everybody stopped and was like, oh, you're right, maybe maybe I should. Maybe I should think about this and, and correct myself going forward. Whereas, you know, as human women, as we point out and attempt to correct microaggressions, people are like, ah, okay, so it's have a seat. Yeah. And if you stand up and, and stand up for yourself or defend your point of view, then it's, you know, angry feminists and they've checked out instantly. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, her her standing up for that and, and doing it with without dropping her crown was so much more... Or at least it resonated with me more so than I think uh, a, a guy who would have watched that scene. She mm. is definitely in a situation where she has a level of power, and damn, she's going to use it. She's right. going to school these humans as best she can. The other thing that's so powerful about it is that we're automatically meant to identify with the Enterprise crew. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I love this movie so much in general is it makes us examine the Enterprise crew and examine oh, their, you know, bias and their racism and allowing her to do that in a way where the audience is like, yeah, she's right and they're wrong. And we're not usually set up to feel that way about our crew. And that could go pretty poorly. You have to you have to walk that fine line of checking them without making them unlikable and they did a good job with that i thought yeah. it, was, it was real good it's also the best thing and the inherent responsibility about star trek in general you know here's this whole universe of people and genders and religions and cultures and histories that you know have all for the most part you know romulans not included have figured out how to get along with each other 
and if nothing else, coexist. And as as fans of of this show and everything that comes along with it, you know, inherently we are more susceptible and, and definitely more perceptive to, you know, how people should interact towards each other, like those little minor sensitivity things that people who don't watch the show don't know about. And and I just feel like if, if you're going to have a show that talks about all of these difficult things, then in order for you to talk about them properly, you have to check people sometimes. So I yeah. love when there's episodes where our favorite characters of our favorite crews, you know, their prejudices or their discriminatory acts pop up, and we ha- we have to see that and check them on it, regardless of how, you know, we feel towards them up until that point. Yeah, well said. Thanks, guys! Thanks! <laughs> <laughs> and now we're going to get to the TNG era. Yes! I know what is very <laughs> exciting. Um, they there are some straight up badass Klingon women in TNG. Some of my favorites. I thought we'd start with Kalar. Okay, Yay! okay, okay, <laughs> guys. I, I I have to. Huh. All right. Okay. Bear deep with breaths. Me. Deep breaths. Bear with me. <laughs> Bring it home. You talked about race initially with within Klingon species uh, when we were talking about Mara mm-hmm. and. I did a panel up in New York uh, for the 50th anniversary, the Star Trek Mission New York last September, and one of the people in the panel brought this to my attention, and I wasn't even thinking about it. Because as far as I was concerned, Klingons were Klingons, right? Obviously, Worf and his brother were black, obviously. But beyond that, there's different shades of Klingon dumbness. Whatever. But it didn't hit me until all of the crap that was against Worf through the Dora sisters, through, through you know, his complications with Kalar, they were all trying to keep him and the House of Moog in general oppressed and out of history. And uh-huh. this dude, in this audience who I never met before, he was like, that's because the other Klingons were white. And I was like, no, dude, they were Kling... Oh my god! Like, <laughs> it was Holy like, crap! I didn't even think about it. Like, uh, uh, Martok, Galron, all of these dudes were quote-unquote white Klingons. And here comes Worf and his father and his brother. And they were just like, no, nah, dude, have a seat. Dishonor. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. <laughs> Dishonor on your book. And and Worf just took that crap on the chin. And here you have Kalar, who's like an opportunity to not only see a glimpse of where Worf came from, but also, hey, another badass Klingon woman. But Kalar was so anti-establishment, which yeah. I was just like, yo, how are you an ambassador for an, for uh, a political body, a governing body that you don't even rock with? <laughs> so I was mad confused at first. I was like, okay, is she our ambassador or is she their ambassador? Like, what? what? I have no idea what's going on. And, and just the fact that, that Kalar, first of all, Heck yes, Susie Plaxon. Like, oh, I can, yeah. Mm-hmm. She can do, I just, girl, do everything. Why is she not in more <laughs> stuff? Why is she not in the Wonder Woman movie? <laughs> Kalar was so, just strength personified, but she had the nerve to be silly on top mm-hmm. of it. Kalar yeah. had this, this goofy sense of humor that you could tell, she, like, I don't know how far back her and Worf went, but you could tell she would always poke with him and he would look at her like, stop, this is just honorable. She's like, whatever, boy, come see me. And, <laughs> and I just love the fact that here's a strong woman who could be silly, who could be feminine, who could be tough, and all of that at once, and still held enough clout that people, you know, paid attention to her. And I, I just... The fact that Kalar didn't is not still the fact that Kalar and Worf never got married and they didn't have their perfect nuclear Klingon family with Alexander is just 
I know we're talking about women here, but it's just a, a, another another thing, another notch on my belt that um, that Worf is the most tragic character in science fiction history. But I, I, I digress. <laughs> I could get into that. We that'll be a whole other show. <laughs> Maybe you guys can be on the triples, and we'll talk about it then. Who knows? Ooh, uh, yeah. I, I just uh, yeah, woo! Freaking Kalar, man! Like, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> oh, I'm not even looking at her picture yet. Hold on, let me pull this up. This is good. <laughs> oh God! So I did I miss anything? I don't know. I, I know it was like a stream of consciousness there, but just the fact that she. I love the dynamic of a woman who has the attention of a man who is trying to act like he doesn't want her. But all their entire interaction, Kaylar's looking at Worf like, boy. <laughs> boy, boy. You know you want this. And Worf's just like, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know. I totally don't want everything about you right now forever <laughs> i don't i don't even know i got see i got this shift i gotta be in engineering like right now i gotta go um mm-hmm. so i just i need to buy <laughs> like and just to see Worf get rattled like that Worf of all people to get rattled yeah. like that shows how important and how impactful and how impressive kalar was all the way around absolutely he was so smitten it was so oh, cute just yeah. just she could have farted and he would have breathed it in it's a wonderfully robust aroma you have today (laughs) i mean where is the lie really i think that's a that's an accurate summation of the relationship because yeah um (sighs) bummed that dorn had her fridged but uh he later regretted that himself so wait wait a minute wait yeah wait wait hodor 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 (laughs) You said what? That was his choice? Yeah, he said that, you know, Worf needed more motivation, so let's bring Kalar back and kill her off to give Worf some better Ah, dude. This makes me sad because Worf did not need more motivation to stab Duras in the face, okay? Like, Duras's face was enough motivation to stab Duras in the face. Agreed, but you know what? I... And this 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 pr- goes into my theory that he's the most tragic character in sci-fi. That is actually that makes sense because if Worf had had the strength of Kalar with him um, going forward, then that would have considerably altered his path. I think that whole tormented thing that he had is what propelled him to do the best that he could, especially when it came to raising this child that he didn't know and he had. It may not have given him. Uh, another reason to stab Duras in the face because everybody wanted to stab Duras in the face, but it, <laughs> it, it definitely made it lawful and justifiable as far as their rules are concerned. Because if he had just stabbed Duras just because, that would have been a you know an intergalactic incident. Like that would have been yeah. a problem. Everybody would have had to get involved. Then he would have got stripped of rank, probably ex- like you know what I mean. Like that would have been a whole problem for Worf, but. Because it was justifiable, because Doros had killed his baby mom for all intents and purposes, you know, none of the Klingons were going to be like, oh, nobody was going to press charges. Yeah. I think that you're theoretically correct that that's how it should have worked. But then, like, later Worf got to just, like, take leave to go lead a Klingon civil war and then come back as if nothing had happened, even though he didn't have permission to take leave. So, I don't know that Starfleet was that harsh on him. (laughs) But they also didn't know really... As much as, as Klingons had gotten 
as much as we had gotten used to them, as much as we had been allied by them, and as as much as Worf was a feather in the Federation cap, they really didn't know what the heck to do with Klingons. They were just like, listen, as long as we can eat at this table without anybody flipping it over, <laughs> you guys can do whatever the heck you want. Just call us if you need anything. If we need anything, we'll call you. Um, please take your boots off. Matter of fact, no, leave your boots on, please. <laughs> leave your boots on. While you're in my house, I appreciate it. So, it doesn't surprise me that Worf had the the leeway that he did to to step off and, and fight a war and then come back. Um, but again, we're digressing. It's all about Kalar here. I I just I want to know everything about her. Who were her parents? Where did she come from? Where was she raised? What school did she go to? What was her pet like? Did she have any other boyfriends? Did she have any siblings? How the freak did her and Worf meet? Like, how did that happen? <laughs> Kenny, I feel like you need to to sit down and write like a ten book series, uh, just exploring every mundane detail of Kalar's backstory ever. Give us a Kalar treatise, if you will. Uh, yes. Don't tempt me, because I will. I would read it. I really want to see the adventures of her being a single mom to Alexander. I really yeah. want to know how that went for her and how she answered a lot of questions he probably had. I also want to see what it was like for her growing up. Um, being both Klingon and human, because yeah. this is one of the areas where I think Kalar has a lot of strengths. Is 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 I mean, similar to Spock, similar to Balana, of like exploring, you know, having two backgrounds and the conflicts that come from that, and also the strengths that come from that. And I thought she was a really cool character for that. So I would have loved to see how she, because by the time we see her in TNG, she has very strong opinions. Mm-hmm. about the Klingons and about humans and what about Klingon culture she wants to own and what she wants to reject. I would love to see her journey towards getting there right. towards yeah. those opinions. Cause those, yeah. that I think would be super, super interesting. Cause we already covered the fact that, I mean, she mentioned that her, her mother was human and her father mm-hmm. was Klingon. Right. So if she's so anti-establishment as it were, how did she end up their ambassador to us? Like Mm -hmm. how was her, was her mom not in Starfleet? Was her dad some type of house council member? Like who, how does she, if she's not about this life, why is she in this life? How did this happen? Was it Worf that she met someday randomly when he was in his Academy days with his awkward ass high and tight haircut? And she was like, damn, babe. (laughs) She was like, damn, babe. I like them ridges though. And he's like, I must do push-ups. And she's like, I can sit here and watch that, too. <laughs> I, I just, I'm I just... telling you, Kennedy, you need to write this. <laughs> write this down. I will pay so much latinum to get this in my Ooh. hands right now, okay? Interesting. We probably should head towards Lursa and Bator territory, though. Yes! These two. And I know you're also excited about the Dura sisters, and I want to say that one of the things that um, definitely came out of one of our earlier Women at Warp um, discussions that people still associate with us is our love for the Klingon boob window. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a uh, distraction tactic. tactic. <laughs> I always thought of it as like a pocket thing. Like you can just be like, oh, I got some snacks in here that I can pull out. <laughs> uh, I- the first time I saw it was like, why are you going to leave your armor open to your heart? But okay. I mean, it looks good. They look they look good. Because the strength of a female warrior's heart cannot be pierced by blade alone. Ooh. 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 Uh, so Lurus and Bator, some of our most 
mm, recurring and enduring villains. I was sad when they they finally killed them off. I I loved that they would just pop up out of nowhere all the time and just be like, "We're back!" Hey, I loved that. Hey, hey. They were they were pretty uh like ha ha. Oh, what you forgot? <laughs> you forgot we was here. You forgot about us, didn't you? They're good at lurking in the background of all of these plots and then popping out and being like, it was us. Right. <laughs> I was really hoping they'd pop, they'd just pop out at the end of the Dominion arc in, in DF9 and be like, hey. <laughs> hey. Hey, girl, hey. Right. I initially, coming up on this series, was like, screw these heifers, they ain't shit. But <laughs> once I got more into it and, you know, your notes alluded to this, like Klingon women are unable to hold positions of power politically, um, in the military, scientifically, like they are always depicted at these, as these strong, ferocious women, but can't own a house, but can't sit on the council, can't do anything that comes, that their male counterparts can do. So the whole reason that the Dora sisters were being such jerks, essentially is one because they're Doros and Doros are just they're just assholes because Doros was the <laughs> one that that somehow somehow managed to convince the entire Klingon Empire that the House of Moog was the bad guy here. I still don't know how that happened, but whatever. More like Dushras. Yep, right, <laughs> right, <laughs> Dushras sisters. So we already know that the Doros house is not to be trusted, but when it comes to the women, like all they wanted to do was to obtain a seat of power, right? And this is how a Klingon woman has to navigate that that atmosphere in order for it to do so. It was harder for us as an audience to empathize with them because we're Team Starfleet or Team Federation usually. So it was kind of hard to, at least for me anyway, to sit there and just be like, okay, yeah, woo, girl power. Oh, you guys keep popping up. Now you f***ing with Jordy's visor, though? No, no, that's too much. That's too much. That's too much. Too much. Too much. You got to fall back. You can't mess with Jordy. That's not cool. I feel like they would have been more effective if they could have done things like Klingon men do them because they weren't super good at plotting. Like, they, they did have a handful of moments. Like, Jordy's visor is actually a pretty good example of them outwitting Starfleet. But to be fair, Starfleet should have seen that coming. Like, yeah. that's... So the, the, the problem I've always had with them is how, like, incompetent they're portrayed. But at the same time, it's like, I don't feel like them... And their, like, plots and schemes is really what they were strong at. Like, I feel like they were would have been much better if they could just stab people in the face, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, but I, I feel like they learned early on that that's... And plus, it's not like these these were this, this, this house of random people that had these two women all of a sudden out of nowhere that mm-hmm. were trying to gain footing. Like, everybody knew who Doros was. Everybody mm-hmm. was familiar with that house. So everybody had an eye out for them, so they couldn't just walk up to someone random and be like, aha, stabby, stabby, guess what, the seat is mine now. Um, so yeah, I feel like they had to, to navigate that atmosphere the best way that they could. I'm not saying they are best at it, you know, <laughs> I feel like had they used a lot of these, these sexy tactics with Klingon men, probably would have worked a little bit better. Yeah. Because humans are just kind of like, you are a whole lot right now, miss. <laughs> and I don't even know... I don't even know if I should make eye contact or look at the window. I don't know what's going on. Um, so I 
I, I, it's, I have such mixed feelings about them. I hate Larissa and Bator because they kept popping up. Frickin' Doros, not to be trusted. Screw you guys. Anytime a Klingon can not only pair up with Ferengi, but Romulans as well. Like, yo, I can't even, like, get out. Get out. Get your, get <laughs> I don't out know my house. what they're about if they're just willing to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, where, where are your scruples at? Where is your honor? There is no honor in that. And what is a Klingon without their honor? But on the other hand, these chicks was just like, hey, like, they put it on everybody. Bator was all up in Picard's face. She was like, hey, boo. I like, she's like, I like your bald forehead. That's perfect. Smooth. I wonder where it can go. And Larissa never once was like, chicks it out. She was like, yeah, go get that. Go get it. I was like, what's going on here? I think at the very least we can say that they were entertaining. Yes. And they yeah. were fun to watch. So like as as much as I would have liked to see a little bit more competency in the scheming, like I was never sad to see them. You know, I was kind of like in DS9 when they showed up for that brief moment in DS9 and they were just like, get your hands away from my weapons. I was like, yay. Right. Because I just <laughs> was always excited to see them. Yeah, it's just um, like Barbara March also said that she felt like the the men in Klingon society got cooler and more tough and badass roles, and she was disappointed in that. Um, and also, just uh, it actually, was Soren who engineers LaForge's visor, right. and um, so they're just they just kind of watch through it and make fun comments, but. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was kind of disappointing that they just kept like hooking themselves up with like Sila and Soren. They were kind of like, I would say like B grade villains. Maybe Soren was a bit better, but yeah. But they're definitely entertaining, and uh, the actresses were doing the Klingon scenery too, and it was great. They had this whole Goneril and Reagan thing going on though, where mm-hmm. they had real ambition, and you kind of wanted to see where they would go with that if right. yeah, they got a step ahead. It was really intriguing. It was one of those things where it's like, I don't know, what would they do if they win? I kind of want to see this play out. <laughs> right. What would the world be like with the Dura sisters in charge? I kind of, I kind of, I wouldn't mind knowing about that. IDW, are you listening? Right. <laughs> I, I just, I, I feel like if if they weren't from House Doras, I'd be all about them. But I am still so butthurt about what happened to Worf that uh, I can't, I can't even, oh, it's so torn. The woman side of me is like, hell yes. But the, the, the Klingon side of me is like, mm, no, you have to say shit. So this, this Duras storyline kicks off with Sins of the Father, which we also get Kalest in, who oh, yeah. is... So awesome. Okay. So I rewatched this episode the other day. And one of the things that I remembered is that I hate dress with my whole heart. I mean, just, Ooh, just the whole time. I was like, I want you to die like now (laughs) and like terribly. But the other thing is Kaylest is awesome. Like, okay. So she is Worf's nanny and she Mm -hmm. survives Kittimer. And then she kind of retires to have like a, a chill life. I have a feeling and this is, she doesn't get a whole lot of screen time, so there's a lot of stuff that you kind of have to infer from her. Mm-hmm. But I kind of got the feeling that she was staying out of the way on purpose, that she knew that that things could go bad for her if people started remembering her. So it felt like she was kind of chilling out, just trying to make it through. She saves Picard's life yep. with stabbing, and everybody who <laughs> listens to the show knows how much I love a good woman with a big knife. Mm. <laughs> 
So she stabs a guy, which is always endearing. And Hot. she gives the most legendary read of all time to Kim Peck. Yes, calls him fat to his face. Yeah, oh my god, it's so good. It's just just the, the flick of the eyes and just the, the disdain. You could I, I, I hadn't watched this episode for years. Last time I watched this episode was in twenty thirteen. And years later, you know, I'm I'm saying, Oh, I'm gonna watch Klingon women and somebody was like, You have to watch Kalis because remember how and I was like, I have never forgotten. Yeah. Years <laughs> have gone by and that read is still with me. It lives in your heart. It sticks with you. And the look on his face, like, he feels so small in that moment. It's amazing. She's just like, no, you're not worthy of me. Don't let the door to Stovacor hit you on the way out. Right? (laughs) She read him. She dragged him. Like, that old auntie, who's not really your auntie, but she lives on your block and she's everybody's (laughs) auntie. You know, those are the most vicious women that you don't want to cross. Right, that that she was there on that block when everybody else moved in and knew your dad when he was still in his pants. And <laughs> here you go trying to talk smack to her. And she turns around and looks at you like, boy, if you don't get out my face. <laughs> like, because what can you really say to that? What can you, what you going to do? Smack her? This is an old woman. So this is, these are the kind of reads that I like the most. Because if you're just there to mock somebody for their weight for no reason no right she reads who needs to get read that's the difference she reads who needs can that be our slogan yeah <laughs> basically so I, I mean i love that she has what maybe five minutes it's very short and yet her presence is just like I, years later and i'm still laughing about that and i rewatched it and it was just as glorious the second time around and i was just like yes drag him <laughs> old Klingon women not to be effed with <laughs> absolutely uh, Kennedy did you want to talk about Bile Worf finds this colony of Klingons and Romulans who have settled after you know they're descendants of the people who survived Kittimer and the Romulans because they're jerks have uh, you know hold like has pretty much established themselves as the governing body over this colony, but it's been so long since they landed there that everybody's, you know, intermarried and had children and built this society. But because they're Romulans, they're still being like this jerky police state thing. And they've literally oppressed these Klingons to the point where they have no idea who they are culturally. They have no idea what their heritage is. And, you know, that's, that's, that goes to show how, how thorough oppression can be when the people, the oppressed, have no idea what they're, what they're being excluded from or what is being kept from them. And Worf gets down there and he's like, what? Klingons? What? Romulans? Oh no, we got to go. And gets caught. <laughs> and comes to find out that there are still elements of Klingon culture uh, amidst and being practiced amidst these people, but it's done the wrong way. Like hunting tools are used as toys. Battle songs are being sung as lullabies, and he's just like, "Hold the phone, give the phone to me. Let's 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 talk about this." And pretty much just shakes it up completely and falls in love with this girl. And I love when when Worf, aka Michael Dorn, aka my baby daddy, falls in love with people on screen because the way he looks at women, I'm just like, "Oh my god!" You want anyone to look at you that way? God, oh, I just you know I don't need these panties anymore. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> not my not not my favorite anyway um 
So he falls in love with this PYT, because you could tell she was much too young for him. And uh-huh. he goes to pull her hair back, and she's, she's got Romulan ears. And he's like, ugh, and recoils in horror. And she's like, what's the problem? That's my daddy. That's my mom. What's up? He was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I was going to. And it forces, <laughs> it forces Worf to come to terms with some of his own prejudices and discriminations. And it, it served to, I, I think, uh, Knock, knock, knock Worf off a couple pegs because at that point in the Trek arc, you know, he had, I think he had uh, been promoted. He had the long hair, so he had the whole Samson thing going on. And, <laughs> and now, you know, he had to come to terms with, you know, ugly parts of himself that he had to move past and, and truly be a progressive Starfleet officer. And I think leads this cultural rebellion. I can't remember if they leave, per se. I think they all stay put. I think, I don't think anyone leaves the colony, but I think he shakes things up in terms of how, what access they have to what parts of their heritage. And Bael was just this quintessential caught between two worlds characters. You know, she loved her parents. This was the only life she knew. And, you know, she had to, to learning about a part of yourself that has been there all the time, but you never had access to, I can imagine is an, is an incredible experience for anybody, you know? So for her to realize that, these two people who raised her and, you know, love her come from uh, groups who, who hate each other and are hated by so many other people. Like, I'm sure she had to deal with that. And, and the actress had such a, a air of innocence to her performance that didn't lend to naivete. You know, there's a defined line between being unaware and, and ignorant or, or, or oblivious. And she was very much a, a Klingon woman in the sense that, like, whoa, first of all, you're not going to talk to me like that. I don't know where you come from, but where I come <laughs> from, you're not going to talk to me like that. But then she was also very wide-eyed and, and ambitious, or not ambitious, um, just open. You know, she wanted to know. She wanted to learn. She was a sponge. She wanted to find out all of these things about her. And I feel like they could have done so much with a, a, a character like that, even if, you know, it wasn't meant to be a recurring character along the terms of, like, Kalar or, or, or Lursa and Bator. But I, aesthetically, I was fascinated by her just to see, you know, those those Romulan... That Romulan forehead underneath Klingon ridges, to me, was, was in and of itself. And plus her hair. Oh, my God, those tracks! Let me tell you about this wig, though! Her hair was all the way down her back in copper ringlets. I said, where did they get this wig? I want it. (laughs) I do think that's an interesting episode, though, because one of the easiest ways to control population is to force them to assimilate and force them to get rid of their culture. And I always found that to be a very interesting episode, even though it is funny to me that Worf is so angry that they're farming. Like, how Mm. dare you farm? Always made me kind of laugh, but... That's a, an interesting episode, and she's interesting in it. Yeah, I think it served to, to show some of his own prejudices. Which you know we love! Yeah. Right. He's always been very cultural, pro- culturally proud, which is great. But when that pride gets... When the source of that pride, when the reasoning behind that pride gets called into question, uh, that's always interesting to see how a character will react to that. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Moving on to DS9, we've got Grilka and House of Cork, which is one of my favorite episodes. Such a great episode, and she is great in it. 
Yeah, Quark was like, hey, boo. And she was like, what? If you don't get out of my face. And I love the fact that Grilka had, like, a court. Yeah. Yes. She had, like, an entourage of people with her. She wasn't just out there. She had that whole royalty going for her. The the My favorite part of that episode is when Quark is trying to uh, <laughs> convince, uh, is it? Gowron, I, I was thinking to myself, <laughs> crazy eyes. Um, uh, trying to convince Gowron to, to rule in his favor, and Gowron's just got like this calculator type thing, and he's trying to do accounting, and he's just like, what is this? I hate this. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And it's so funny. Um, and I just love that kind of clash between Ferengi and Klingon that's like encapsulated in the scene where Quark's like, and if you look at this, you can see that the prophet the here, and Gauron's about ready to throw that calculator in his face. It's amazing. <laughs> and there's also just that awesome part where Grilka is like basically thanking Quark and is like, and because of that, I will allow you to remove your hand from my thigh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, break every bone in your body. And he's just like, ha 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 ha. I'm in love. <laughs> yeah, I just saw Family Business and that I feel like I understand Quark's attraction to strong women so much better now. Yeah. Because he's always like, here are my Dabo girls. I totally like females to be submissive. No, you don't. Lies. The lies you tell, okay? You want to be pushed around and Grilka wants to push you around. Look at all of Quark's, like, he hits on Dax, whose Dax is like, I will stab you. For sure. Mm -hmm. And and then he's like totally into Grilka. And actually by the end of this episode, I was like, yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Like they had, <laughs> I just, I think it's so funny that what he says and then what he does and who he's obviously attracted to is like so miles different. Um, and he's all about the subjugation of females, but he loves a strong woman. Yeah. He, I mean, that's, that's typical of a lot of men in general though. I mean, Moogie was never... You know, his wife, his mother was strong and he always yeah. knew his mother was strong. So he had, a, he had a good example and he probably was outwardly saying, I like submissive women because that's what Ferengi men have been conditioned to believe. Yeah. He also is uh, pretty interested in dating lots of different races. He hits on everybody. He's almost as bad as Bashir. Yeah, except for he likes strong women, whereas Bashir, maybe not so much. He likes Dax, but he <laughs> wishes Dax were more submissive sex kit that yeah but um mary Kay adams who played grilka said that um playing the playing grilka was like christmas for her because uh so many times in hollywood or in show business in general women are not really allowed to be strong we are tempered our power is taken away playing the klingon one was such a joy because throughout my entire career i've had directors say to me okay mary Kay, just pull back a little bit this was the first time i was ever told okay we need you to be stronger (laughs) Uh, and she says if you're a strong woman you're labeled a bitch or threatening or difficult or temperamental or a whole lot of other things so yeah so that was kind of cool also if it makes you feel better kennedy grilka marries Worf in star trek online uh, <laughs> so not canon but you know yeah i remember reading that i guess it's fine <laughs> better than nothing mm, in my brain Worf is married to me <laughs> that's fair that's fair <laughs> yeah i just i grilka was always just that piercing gaze that that Klingon women are are expected to have sometimes with some of the 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 background uh, actors you know a lot of them kind of Mm -hmm. 
you could tell where this is my this is my strong face. Er! <laughs> and then there were there were women like Groka and like Sorella to, to 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 go forward who didn't have to say things. They didn't have to say a thing. Those were just their re- their piercing face was their resting face. Yes. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Callist basically didn't have to say anything. Like her her words were the cherry on top of that look. So mm-hmm. all the best Klingon women pull that off. Good stuff. That said, should we talk about Cirilla? Yes. Oh, please. <laughs> the closest thing to Lucara we will ever So Lucara was um the wife of Kalas. Yeah. In, in lore. And we never hear we never see Lucara. We hear about her. We saw Kalas because they they cloned him and brought him back and all his imagery and stuff, but we never heard about Lucara. And I I cosplayed as a Klingon in September. I was trying to be Lucara because we had never seen her. I felt that give me more range to do whatever I wanted. But I was like, I still need a point of reference. Who who is 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 out there that I can look at in an attempt to build on this fandom? And I used Sorella primarily as a base because she was so different from the other Klingon women that we've seen in the sense that they all had some type of applied warrior thing. Like they were, Grilka notwithstanding, everybody was in the mix somehow. Either they served on a ship or they were members of a house like the Dora sisters or something like that. Whereas Grilka was just like, I'm going to sit here on my throne. I'm going to make sure all of my royal ducks are in their royal order. And if you have a problem with that, you can come see me and my royal batleth. <laughs> and did not get rattled for and you know that just that reflection of partnership as well um yeah martok spoke so highly of of sorella before we saw her like you would think that sorella would have descended on high on like a beams of light with with i don't know whatever kind of adornment flowers jewels dismembered ears whatever klingon's fine to decorate with you know wait are you saying she didn't she stepped off a, a, a craft. She stepped off a ship <laughs> and onto Deep Space Nine and nodded what's up to Cisco and kept it pushing. <laughs> like she you would I thought that there would have been fanfare and, and all types of trumpets and, and satyrs and whatever the way Martok was talking about her. <laughs> and she stepped off her ship, she was like, Hey boo. She looked at Cisco like what's up, human and and left. And I was like, Yo, that was the most G sh ever her cape. <laughs> Oh, she was so, so, so G. And wow. and Cisco turned and looked at Martok like, yo, that's your girl, though? Martok, <laughs> and Martok was like, yeah, dog. She bad, ain't she? She bad, ain't she? I know it. Yo, let me tell you about... And then they kind of walked off and did their thing. So I, I just... You know, like we were saying before about Worf would have been that much stronger had he had Kalar by his side. Martok is, is that... I mean, Martok was always pretty formidable anyway. There's no one that could say that Martok wasn't anything. But yeah. to see that this was his wife, this was the one that ran that house, it's like, yup, that <laughs> makes all the sense. Like, of course you have a dragon wife. Of course yep. you do. There's the power couple we've been waiting for. Of course you have a dragon wife. So to see her, you know, just kind of casually look at Worf and look at... She looked down her nose at all the men on that ship. Where is Jadzia? <laughs> Where is this one trying to get into my house? Where is she at, though? <laughs> and and Jadzia knew. She said, I know Klingons. Come on. I know. Listen, listen, listen. I know what I'm doing. Worf was like, babe, I don't know. She's like, ah, no, 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 no. trust me. I got this. Go do whatever. Go sit in your 
sauna cave with swords <laughs> for three days. All right, let me let me talk family history with this lady. Worf's like, okay. Go play with your pain sticks, dear. Right, go ahead, hon. Have fun. You guys enjoy your bachelor party, I guess. And Cirilla read her to filth. She's like, oh, I love how you think it's cute. You just go come in my family. Look at these fake behind candles. Are they real candles? They're not real candles. Next time you're going to do this shit, make that shit real. I'll come back tomorrow. And Dax was just like, well, damn. <laughs> and I just, I just seeing that without, because a lot of actors, I feel like when they have that opportunity to play a strong woman can get a little extra. You know, be like, ah, I'm strong face. Like I said before, look at me. This is my strength. Whereas she was just like, I have, I don't even want to be here. I was supposed to be on another planet getting a pedicure. Now you got me over here on some dumb, <laughs> this raggedy behind station. Who is supposed to be marrying into my family though? Where is she at? And I was just like, yo, everything about her was everything. Even when she, and the best part about Cirilla was the fact that she was not too big for her own britches. Once Dax stepped to her and was like, listen, I don't give a shit about your family or any of your heritage. I'm marrying this big lug right here, whether you like it or not. And Cirilla had nothing to do but respect that. Mm -hmm. And she gave that respect forward when they got married. She was like, hey, I was wrong too. It's cool. It's whatever. And I was just like, wow, what, what exemplary behavior from a position of power you know god i love this episode so much i know i was just like oh it was just it was just beautiful everything everything about that episode even to like uh uh dax's bachelorette party and this is the best that giant polynesian dude was just like tits out he's like hey the ferengi dance is my favorite yeah right oh my god let's all just like grab our earlobes and jump in a circle What would the human equivalent be like? Just grab your junk, thrust it out. <laughs> I guess, I guess. But yeah, Cirilla was everything Beyonce hopes she can be. <laughs> I said it. I very, said very it. Nice. I, I don't know how many of the Beehive actually listens to the show, but well, we did once decide to name one of the uh, Starfleet ships after Beyonce, the USS Beyonces. The shuttlecraft is the Solange. <laughs> I'm calling that. Dang, shade. That is shade. See, I'm shady enough where I would call it the USS Solange. <laughs> and have the runabout be the Beyonce or something. Ooh, what thing? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm mean, though. I'm petty. <laughs> we were going to talk about Bellana, but I do not think we have time to do her justice. So mm. I, I think at this point we're going to have to do a separate episode on Bellana. And she deserves it. Let's face it. Yes. She deserves a yeah. whole episode. Yeah, I think you might be right. Uh, we forgot to mention that the animated series does have a Klingon woman in the time trap. And the only thing I really remember about her is she's rocking an amazing afro. And I love it. And that's a good episode. So you should check that out. Um, does anybody want to talk about this woman from Enterprise, which I have not seen? Uh, sure. I just watched the episode, so I will just super quickly. Basically, Enterprise has almost no uh, significant Klingon women. I would say Lanef is the only one. Um, she is this lieutenant and warrior who's infected with the Augment virus, and she's involved in the battle against the Enterprise and the Columbia. And uh, she is 
you know, she only has a couple scenes, but she's another person who just really owns those scenes. And you remember her because, like, almost her first lines is she comes in to tell uh, Kavach, the general or whatever, that his son died in the battle. And she's just so unapologetic about it. She's just like, yeah, your son died. Uh, he had no honor. Suck it up. <laughs> and That does sound pretty Klingani. Yeah, it's pretty great. Like, the guy's kind of, like, upset, and she's just like, you know, he was killed by a human. So. Weak. Yeah, then a little bit later, she's really upset because, um, you know, the augment virus makes them lose their forehead ridges, and she's talking about how, you know, her and uh, her children will, you know, face stigma, and they'll never be accepted again on the Klingon homeworld, and she would rather die than live like that, but uh, eventually you know, decides like the rest of them to just uh, take the cure. But uh, they had this, you know, dream of being super Klingons. And uh, she's clearly pretty upset by that. And I guess, you know, would not be wrong about trying to, to fit in looking radically different. And I think that's, you know, something that we can use the Klingons to talk about in our society. Um, when you look, especially back at like KLR and, uh, I know we're not going to talk about Bolana, but, uh, the same issue of, of, uh, being like visually, visibly racialized as, uh, like a biracial person, um, or just visibly different that it, it matters because, you know, you can compare KLR and Troy and how, Troy's all like super positive about being biracial, but as Robin Roberts points out in her book, Sexual Generations, like that's because she's never experienced any, you know, most people don't even realize she is, and she's never experienced any real prejudice because of that. Right. right. Plus, both of Deanna's parents are white, whereas Bolana is, is half Latinx, and there's yeah. a whole other cultural background there that influences how people interact with each other from other cultures. Yeah, and we know that Bolana was bullied by her human relatives for looking part Klingon, but then she never really could feel like she fit in in Klingon society because she looked too human and therefore would be considered probably weaker. Right. I I, I would hope that with with a lot of um, I want to say marginalized or even minorities, but a lot of you know people of color in their communities, there's such a thing as uh, cultural gatekeeping. Where oh, the yes. act of, of trying to preserve the nuances of one's culture, um, you know, against assimilation uh, through the you know dominant, or, or at least the more the more populous uh, environment. So a lot of things that are, are inherent or indicative to these specific cultures won't get discussed openly with people outside of that group. I understand that you know being a person of color, there's definitely times where I, I feel compelled to to gatekeep when it comes about things, you know, in my culture that I want to talk about. But then there are things that need to get discussed in order for there no longer to be stigmas, in order for these problems to go away. Certain conversations have to be had. And I think in Bolana's case, you know, that that's definitely, it's definitely true there. I can, it totally makes sense to me that growing up with, uh, you know, a, a half of your family being Latino or Hispanic, not wanting to talk about, certain things with people from that that fall under that other category and as far as they were concerned even though Bolana was blood related to them she was definitely an other so i'm sure there were some things nuances that they didn't discuss with her intentionally and unintentionally um which is definitely not something that Bolana needed especially not when she was a kid to have to do yeah that. yeah like come on dad what you doing like so i i feel like 
if, if nothing else, because we really don't have time to get into Bellana, but if it's if nothing else, Bellana serves as an example to let people live. You know, you can't mm-hmm. expect a person to possess certain attributes or, or exhibit certain behaviors because they come from such and such and so and so. At the end of the day, you know, it's a it, what matters is what their contributions are, how they interact with people, and what you know their their moral code is, which is. It's just inherently Star Trek anyway. Like, nobody cares. At least no one should care where you come from, what you look like, who you worship. As long as you're not kicking puppies or pushing old ladies into traffic. Like, you know, do you. And I think if if Bellana had more people in her life growing up telling her to just live her best life, then she would not be so, you know, consumed with, you know, defining herself as human or as Klingon or as neither or both. But then again, you know, we also wouldn't have had badass Maquis Bellana, so... Yeah. <laughs> we lose the aggro-ness, we lose her excellence. That's true. Well, I think this has been a really fascinating discussion. Thank you so much yeah. for coming, Kennedy. That was, Yo, mm-hmm. was a thank blast. Thank you for having me. I listen all day, every day. Absolutely. <laughs> Did anybody have anything else they wanted to add before we wrap things up? Um. Yeah, if I may, uh, you can find Black Triples on... Uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, uh, BlackTriples.com. We stream live Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on uh, phillycam.org slash radio slash listen. If you are in the Philadelphia area or locally, we can be found on your FM dial, WPPM 106.5 LP. Um, We are on all of the social medias, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Tumblrs, the interwebs. Um, so, so check us out. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and you guys in particular, we're in the middle of our misogyno campaign. Ooh. My guys, I, I can't even take credit for it. It's not my idea. My guys put together a campaign <laughs> to talk about misogyny in geek culture. So that's awesome. Summer, that's fabulous. Yo, yeah, they they rock. I can't even, I'm just like, oh, look at my boys. So <laughs> um, so check us out for sure. And this is great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And Grace, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank. And Jara? You can find me on Tumblr at TrekkieFeminist.tumblr.com. And the easiest place to find me is on Twitter at First Time Trek, where I'm live tweeting through my first time through Star Trek. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. (laughs) 